Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Wednesday the 17th of June. I'm Tom Tilley. And I'm Annika Smithhurst. Today on the show, we're going to brief you on defunding the police. That's what Black Lives Matter activists have been chanting in the streets, but it's not as simple as it sounds. So we're going to dive into that in a minute and find out what it is they actually want. That's in just a moment. Right now, let's get into the big news stories of the day. As we race to find a COVID vaccine, a promising development out of the UK. Now, it's not a vaccine, but a drug that reduces coronavirus death rates. A drug that is available and affordable, saving lives, particularly those who are on ventilator machines. That's the UK Innovation Minister, James Bethel. So this is basically a cheap steroid. It's called dexamethasone. Uh, And this is a fairly wide-ranging study out of the UK that found that this drug reduces the death risk for COVID patients on ventilators by one third. This is a huge step forwards. Uh, We've been searching for a treatment that actually reduces the risk of dying from COVID and we found one. What's more, we found one that is already there. It's already sitting in the pharmacies. That was Professor Martin Landry from Oxford University saying that the drug dexamethasone is already on pharmacy shelves and they can easily scale up production. Boris Johnson has also spoken recently saying it's the biggest breakthrough yet. I'm absolutely delighted that the uh, biggest breakthrough yet has been made by a fantastic team of scientists right here in the UK. Some very good news there. As corona restrictions ease here and Australians go back to the pub, there's been some concerning news from overseas. Uh, New Zealand's clean COVID-free run is over. We have had two cases. These are two women from the same family, one in her 30s, one in her 40s, who recently arrived here from the United Kingdom. New Zealand's public health professor Michael Baker there, and there's a second wave in China creating a fresh lockdown in Beijing. Chinese authorities are saying it's extremely severe after more than 100 fresh cases in Beijing since the outbreak started on Friday. Now, the majority of those cases are coming from a wholesale food market and they're not locking down the whole city yet. They're doing more targeted lockdowns in and around that market. Um, Annika, it spooked share markets on Monday and I think the whole world will be watching this one quite closely. And it's the story that won't go away for the Labor Party. There's a big development in the branch stacking scandal that broke on 60 Minutes on Sunday night. Andrews goes. That's the audio of Adam Somirak slamming a fellow minister over the phone. Uh, he was sacked straight after those revelations came out. And now the Victorian Premier is saying he has no confidence in the state's membership role and wants the national executive to take control. The state's in recession and this rotten government is more interested in looking after themselves and their own political power than looking after Victorians. That was Michael O'Brien, the Victorian opposition leader. Annika, what's the significance of Dan Andrews' move to say he has no confidence in the state's membership role? And is this a big deal? It's actually quite huge. So basically, if you sign up, you want to be a member of the Labor Party or the Liberal Party, you pay your membership dues. You're allowed to go to a meeting, whether that be monthly or every second month, and you should have some sort of say in what goes on. They're now saying that they can't guarantee that everyone who's on that list is actually a member. Now, we discussed branch stacking yesterday, and it can be done in a range of ways. Sometimes those people have died. Uh, Sometimes they don't exist at all, or other times they don't even know they're a member of the party. So they have to audit every Victorian member that claims to be a member of the Labor Party, and it means that they can't vote to put in who they want in politics. So they've suspended for three years 
all the votes to put anyone in politics in Victoria and there'll be, I guess, effectively a board making those decisions. So huge issue for the Victorian Labor Party and also for democracy. Well, that could create problems of its own right if it's a board deciding um, all of those candidates. Um, that could also be open to corruption because it'd be a smaller group of people making those decisions. Absolutely, that's the problem. But, you know, when you can't guarantee that people on the list actually exist, they have to go back to square one to build any sort of confidence. And the problem political parties face at the moment is not a lot of people join them. Some footy teams actually have more members. So it doesn't take many people to branch stack to actually have that sort of influence. So it's a problem for both sides of politics, but at the moment, Labor are in the spotlight for this one. My daughter's birthday was yesterday. Right. Hold on, Miss Brooks. Will you take a preliminary breath test for me? Just yes or no. I don't want to refuse anything. That's the moment just before the fatal shooting of Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta by police there. Uh, and that shooting sparked another round of protests. Now some disturbing info has emerged about the police officer involved. Oh, some men. How much are you drink tonight? Yeah, so that was Officer Gareth Rolfe, who was sacked after the shooting, and he had 12 previous complaints against him, including one for excessive use of force with a firearm. Yeah, so that's the new information there. Gareth Rolfe had 12 previous complaints of excessive force. Of the 12, he was reprimanded for two. Um, There was one with no conclusion and nine were thrown out. So clearly that guy had a history, which makes you wonder about the culture of that whole police force. Uh, And this will only add to tensions there. And later on the show, we're going to speak to a protester on the ground in Atlanta and also find out what it actually means to defund the police, which is what lots of activists are calling for there. And the Black Lives Matter movement has led to questions over Cocoa Pops and an Australian beer brand being taken off the shelves. Look, I don't agree with that. I think that's unnecessary. I think it might be taking it a bit far, but it's a matter for the company. That's the WA Premier Mark McGowan responding to calls for the Margaret River-based colonial brewing beer brand to change its name. And overnight, a former UK MP has called for the Cocoa Pops monkey to be pulled from cereal boxes. It's just like a chocolate milkshake, only crunchy. Yeah, so the former UK politician, Fiona Onasanya, is asking Kellogg's why there are three white boys on Rice Krispie treats and a monkey on Cocoa Pops. All right, in a moment, we'll take you to the Black Lives Matter protests in Atlanta and find out what they mean by defund the police. Okay, we're going to take you to Atlanta where protesters have hit the street after another black man, Rayshard Brooks, was shot dead by police. Rashad Brooks! Rashad Brooks! You're going to get tased! You're going to get I thought it was a terrible, I'm not going to compare things, but I, I thought it was a terrible situation. To me, it was very disturbing. One of the demands of the protesters sparked by George Floyd's death several weeks ago is the call to defund the police. And that sparked a massive debate across the US. I feel like I'm being treated like an animal. The fact that I have to fight for my human right when I was born a human being. There won't be defunding, there won't be a dismantling of our police. I just don't believe in that as an answer, that you take money away from an essential department. Let's go with 99% of them are great, great people. This is our moment to fix this. We don't have to see another person say, I can't breathe. I believe in defunding the police. So let's dig a little deeper into the call to defund the police. What does it mean? Does that mean there's no police force? Who's going to be called out if something goes wrong? Is scrapping the police force the right answer? And is that actually what they want? There's already been some interesting developments in this space since George Floyd's death. 
Um, the Minneapolis Council, where his killing happened, um, said it's going to abolish its police department and start again. Uh, Atlanta's police chief has been sacked over the shooting of Rayshard Brooks and New York is banning chokeholds and cutting plainclothes officers. So let's go to Atlanta. DNS CEO Tabora is one of the protest leaders and he's the CEO of Atlanta Protest for Justice. DNS CEO, thank you for joining us. How strong have the protests been there in Atlanta in the wake of Rashad Brooks shooting? What's the mood on the ground like? It is really tense. A lot of people are out right now uh, just full of anger, uh, no one's really organizing any of the protests, so there's not really any um, control over the crowds uh, except for the police. What happened with the police, them being there present at the scene, is making things even more tense, if that makes sense. So how many people are out on the streets and, and how tense is it getting? Is is there violence? At our protests, uh, we have a, a couple of thousand people with us, but uh, there's other groups scattered within Atlanta. We've obviously got an Australian audience here. Can you explain, I guess, the frustration with policing you have in the US, particularly around the the model, how many different forces there are, and the presence of police in your life? It's something that I guess we don't really experience here. There is a lot of problems uh, dealing with the police and their interactions with um, uh, people of colour. Uh, particularly uh, Black Americans, when police are in an encounter with them, um, things tend to escalate higher because they have a sort of mindset within uh, the police organization that people of color are uh, more dangerous than, um, let's say, uh, a white man. Do you support this call f- to, to defund the police? And, and what does that actually mean to you? I wouldn't say uh, so much as strictly defund as demilitarize. Um, defunding the police, um, we want to get rid of their uh, the funds that they use to purchase military-type weapons. We see some um, uh, police stations, they have tanks um, in their lots. And what a police officer needs with a tank, I mean, I'm not really sure. They're using a lot of the funds that can be used appropriately for other things to help the, the community, such as uh, mental health treatment, food banks. Instead, they prefer to arm the police with uh, military-type weapons and equipment they don't need. That was Dionisio Tabora speaking to us from Atlanta. He's part of the protest movement there. Let's find out more about how the police forces in America work because they are completely different to what we know here in Australia. David Smith is a senior lecturer in American politics at the University of Sydney's US Study Centre. David, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. Can you explain how the police force works in America? Yeah, so there are nearly 20,000 law enforcement agencies in the United States. Most police departments are operated and funded at the local level. So... Police departments tend to be run by cities or by counties or sometimes by even smaller groups like universities. So there are just different police forces everywhere which all have different rules and there's no central funding of them. It usually relies on local funding through local taxes 
or from local governments who rely on money from the state and federal governments. So there's always a real fight for money, a real fight for resources. When people go to American towns and cities, they often notice that policing around traffic violations and parking fines is really aggressive. One of the reasons for that is just that it's one of the ways that police departments raise money. So because there's this very, very localised picture of policing in the United States, you don't have police as they are in Australia you know, just being funded and run by a single state government. It is all very, very local. And uh, some of our listeners will have been to the US, but give us a sense when you're there, who do you go to if, you know, your house is robbed? When you ring 911, who are they compared to the National Guard and how often are you seeing police presence? How heavy is that presence in the US? So when you call 911, Chances are that you'll be getting a city police department. But it's also really important to emphasise that most of the time what those police are doing is not responding to 911 calls. It's often doing things uh, like traffic violations or it's, uh, you know, it's patrolling, waiting for something to happen. So it sounds like a complete shambles and it makes me grateful that our parking inspectors just work for local councils and don't carry guns. David, does this absolute hodgepodge of forces across America, 20,000 different forces, as you said, explain some of the problems that we're seeing, particularly the overrepresentation of of black people being shot or injured by American police forces? I think that it does explain some of the problems that we're seeing. Because there's no kind of uniform oversight of police, because everything is handled at the local level. You know, when police do something wrong, that's usually handled by internal inquiries, or if it goes any further, it's handled by it's handled by a local criminal justice system, which in many cases, local courts often have a very cosy relationship with uh, with those police officers. So it does help to explain the lack of oversight. The different kinds of rules that you get with police departments are a part of the problem. We're hearing today that New York, for example, is going to ban police chokeholds, but there are still plenty of parts of the country where police chokeholds are legal. And also, I mean, one of the major things that this hodgepodge contributes to is because all government and many, many services in the United States are organised in this way, including education, for example, police are constantly in this fight for resources with other basic service providers. It's really a zero-sum game that, in many cases, cities face a choice between more money to the police or more money to schools. So this hodgepodge is absolutely part of the overall problem that we're seeing in the US. So it sounds like the current system isn't exactly working, but one idea that the reimagined police force would be is that it would only respond to imminent violence and it would have more of a focus on de-escalation. Do you see that model actually working in the US? I think that it would have to be tried for us to see whether it will work. And I think that one of the reasons for 
these kinds of calls that are basically saying the police just need to be doing a lot less than they're currently doing. They shouldn't be involved with moving on homeless people. They shouldn't be involved with responding to drug problems. They shouldn't be involved uh, in, in traffic and parking violations. So this is why we are now getting calls to say, look, the only answer is for the police to just be doing a lot less, for policing to be reimagined in a way that really just doesn't involve them doing a lot of what they're doing now. Is that what defund the police really means, reimagining the police? Because I imagine when some people hear that, they find that pretty scary and Trump supporters say that that might make a lot of voters who are otherwise sympathetic to the protesters shift back towards Trump because the idea of abolishing the police is is quite scary to a lot of people. What does that phrase really mean? Yeah, defund the police, as you say, it, it means reimagining what the role of the police is. It also, it doesn't just mean, you know, take the money away and throw it away. It means redistributing that money towards other social services that, if funded properly, could also reduce crime and the causes of crime. So, there's a belief that the more money goes to education and early childhood education and daycare, that the more, you know, the better that American children are looked after, that this will ultimately reduce crime. Has defunding the police in Camden and to a lesser degree LA been successful? Have we seen the sort of change that the defunders would be happy with? Uh, We've certainly seen movements towards that change. And I think that what the Camden example also shows is that it's not just about defunding, it's about reorganisation. Um, I mean, not only were the police unions abolished, uh, multiple police forces were actually abolished, resulting in one single police force, which it's a lot easier to have oversight over something like that. So, yes, Camden is a good example of where we've actually seen that. There aren't that many other examples uh, of that out there. So Camden is, is often held up. But it has actually achieved those results in terms of there are far fewer violent interactions between police officers and citizens now. That was David Smith from the US Studies Centre. Annika, what an absolute mess. I had no idea how the US police force was organised or or disorganised. Yeah, and while it sounds like there are some issues with diversity within the police force. That doesn't seem to be the crux of it. It seems kind of like a power imbalance that nobody wants to give up any of their uh, space in this game and it just needs to be structurally reformed. Yeah, but how do you make reform when there's 20,000 different forces like enacting any kind of cultural or structural change when there's literally tens of thousands of structures to change? Sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, and no one's going to want to give up any of their space. Look, I would counter that by having been to the US and anyone that had been to New York years and years ago would know it wasn't a very safe place to walk around. And, of course, Mm. they did bring a lot of police in and try and clear up some of those cities. But I guess the flip side of that is when you have an over-policing, as seems to be the case now, you have these huge problems. So, look, a minefield over there. Thankfully, we don't have to deal with it. That's it for the briefing today. Tomorrow, we're going to take you to the south coast of New South Wales and find out how the bushfire recovery is going there. A Podcast One production.